What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Coffee and Van Chats on the Out of Bounds Network. My name is John Kroom. If you haven't already, please make sure you hit that subscribe button. Leave us a review as it really helps out a lot. And uh, yeah, share with your friends. Um, if you haven't already, do that. That's, uh, that's much appreciated. But uh, other than that, let's go ahead and dive into this week's episode. And that is with Colby Lang. Colby Lang was a teammate of mine on the Team Pursuit team and uh, the Team Pursuit program. And uh, yeah, we ultimately didn't qualify for the Olympics. So we kind of parted ways and then COVID and all kinds of other things, you know, he went on to do bigger and greater things. And then, uh, recently reached out to me when he was going through some mental troubles, health troubles, etc. And, uh, we got to chatting and, uh, yeah, he was having a real time of it. And, uh, I was pretty shocked to hear that because I mean, he was practically living the dream, living in Girona, living in Spain. And, uh, yeah, but uh, it's not all bad, so don't, don't feel the need to you know tune out of this episode so soon yet. But uh, we get to sit down and we get to chat about uh, some stories in the past, and we also get to sit down and we get to chat about mental health and those and how he's doing so much better and his goals for 2022 and beyond. Um, so please sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. But first, let's hear a quick message from the sponsors. And guys, Spot is back this week with an episode. And uh, yeah, so guys, Spot covers your medical bills up to $20,000. Each time you get injured, Spot will cover your out-of-pocket costs instead of a fixed fee. In a world where many people are under and uninsured with sky-high deductibles, Spot fills the gap that has been sorely lacking in the outdoor space. Spot has no deductible and is a monthly subscription that can be canceled at any time. Spot works whether you have health insurance or not. While Spot works with and covers a lot of cyclists and mountain bikers, Spot policies cover you 24-7 worldwide, whether you're ripping a crit, skiing a black diamond, chopping food in your kitchen, or climbing Mount Everest. Guys, Spot has been working with USA Cycling and uh, I think Bike Reg here now for the last you know six or so months that you can actually add day of coverage. You can even get a test for it. So try that out. So when you're scrolling down at the end after you get done registering make sure you click on that spot coverage because if anything crazy happens in the crit you're going to want to be covered and honestly we're not worried about you right we're worried about that guy in front of you that didn't pump up his tires or didn't check on his gear and then it breaks in front of you and boom you crash and what are you going to do when you have a broken collarbone you want to make sure you have spot so all you have to do is go to croom.getspot.com or whenever you sign up for a crit, scroll down to the bottom, make sure that you see if there's that spot insurance, click on it, get it, make sure you're covered. And yeah, but then next twisted spoke CBD guys, I've been talking about them quite a bit. Uh, twisted spoke CBD is here in Colorado Springs. It's actually right down the road from me. And if you're in Colorado Springs, make sure you swing by and grab a kombucha and you know, even ask them about the CBD. If it's something that you're interested in, I've been using CBD for the last six, seven months now. It's been a part of my training regimen. And honestly, it's helped me recover immensely. And I can't thank these guys enough. And it's really nice to know that I can feel comfortable, confident, and safe using their product because they are cyclists and they make sure it's the cleanest CBD out there on the market. All you have to do is go to twistedspokecbd.com and check them out today. Or if you're in Colorado Springs, head over to their Garden of the Gods location and uh, I'll put the link down in the description below of their address and go check them out. But anyways, let's go ahead and dive into this week's episode. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Coffee and Vanchester on the Out of Bounds Network. I'm sitting here with a uh, teammate, good friend, Colby Lang. How you doing, man? I'm so good. How are you? I'm so glad to be here. It's great to see your face. No, this is awesome, especially being that, you know, we've been trying to do this for a very long time and I haven't had necessarily have had the time to make it work and neither have you. And so to finally get on the podcast is pretty dope. So anyways, for the listeners that don't know who you are, to, you know, kind of give us, give us a little backstory on who Colby Lang is. How do you find yourself in cycling? Cause you kind of have a cool story. Yeah. Okay. Well, Colby Lang, that's me. Um, real quick, just to step back once. It's not because Kroom didn't have time. It's because I'm very expensive to get on podcast. <laughs> yeah, it I took had a to, while before you could afford it. I had to, yeah, I had to talk to like several different agents and agencies 
just to get even in contact with you again. So, but, but I'm glad we can make it work. I'm glad that my people, me could talk to your people, which is like a staff of 50. So. Yeah. 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 It'll be the best hundred billion you ever spent. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, anyway, um, I started off as an Alpine skier. Um, and so like, I, I grew up in Vail, Colorado, which, um, plenty of people know is like a great place to ski. Uh, that's what it's famous for. I went to a ski academy. My dad's a professional alpine ski coach and he's worked for various national federations and private programs and on the World Cup and with Olympic and World Championship athletes. Um, and so from the time I was little, I was, I was hell bent on being a professional skier. And then- Were you ever a uh, professional skier? Like in technicality or like, because you know how like in cycling, we call ourselves professional cyclists before we're ever actually professional cyclists. Yeah. Um, like you were so young. I mean, I met you when you were like 17. So like, how do you, yeah, how would you I have mean, categorized yourself? You, I, I could, uh, yeah, I could say that. I mean, I had sponsors um, that, and basically I was super fortunate that I had enough support that ski racing didn't cost me anything, um, which is a huge step up on, yeah, yeah, it's a huge step up on, uh, on the majority of people. Um, and I was pretty good at one point I was ranked second in the world for my age. Uh, and I was national champion, um, won a bunch of races. Like I, I I was good yet, but I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't making a living. That's for sure. And that's actually funny because I'll fast forward. And it kind of explains the difference between uh, the state of ski racing and cycling at the time, at least. Um, but uh, yeah, fast forward, I, I always love ski or I always love cycling, um, would do it basically as much as I can, which ended up being like two or three months a year, a little bit in the spring, a little bit in the fall. Um, but, you know, when I did that, I took it seriously and I trained hard and uh I, I tried to get the best out of myself because mostly just that's my personality. Um, and then typically I'd always be skiing in uh, Europe during the summer, yeah. Europe and New Zealand. This year, or it, it was 2015, the trip was pushed back a little bit. And so I was going to be in the U.S. for U.S. Junior Nationals for the first time ever. And it was a drivable distance away. It's in Tahoe. And we're like, oh yeah, like why not? Just give it a crack. We'll go. Like, sounds kind of fun, um, especially because I knew I liked cycling and kind of wanted to get more into it. Um, went there and actually won the time trial, and oh, wow. so I was I was really keen on, like that kind of sparked a fire for me. Like, oh yeah, like I, th this is something I want to explore. Like, I want to try racing in Europe. Like, maybe this is something I could do. Um, How old and, were you? Fifteen, or was that in two thousand fifteen? Uh, yeah, 2015. So I was 16. At 16. The time. Okay. Yeah, 15, 16. Actually, um, it never quite worked out at first. Um, and I was like, "All right, like, great. I'll I'll be a skier. I I still love ski racing. <laughs> Sounds pretty sweet to me." Um, and then later had the idea, like, "Oh, maybe maybe we could try the track, like velodrome." Um, and I had no intentions of racing ever, but in my own or particularly in my dad's mind, he was the one that had the idea, but it'd be something fun. It'd be new. It'd be a way to stay on the bike, but, uh, something I can kind of explore without pressure and it'd be interesting. And it would probably be better training for ski racing just because it's shorter, more explosive efforts, something like that. Um, quickly, once I started doing that, I fell in love and also got noticed, uh, got invited to a USA cycling camp. And this is where, we'll compare the states of skiing and cycling at the time. But soon after that, uh, within, within a few months after that original USA cycling camp, um, I had the opportunity to, as an 18 year old, be paid to be a cyclist on the national team. Whereas that same year I qualified for the national team in skiing and I was going to have to pay 30 grand to be on the team. Oh. Um, so quite the difference. Um, mm -hmm. At the end of the day, I was, I was, I was over skiing. Um, I built a ton of animosity into it. It wasn't fun. I was either sort of relieved if I did well or pissed off if I didn't, but never actually 
really enjoying myself at the races. Uh, and so it, it, I would have made this decision to be a cyclist anyway, but um, as an 18 year old, that, that uh, pay difference also made the decision pretty, pretty simple at the time. Yeah, no, that's, that's actually kind of insane. Cause you know, one thing we bitch about in, in cycling is just the natural, you know, pay is so low. Like it's, it, it's, it's so, it's so low and so hard to, you know, get that money together and, and whatever else. And so, um, yeah, I, I, I can only imagine if, you know, I'm just like picturing Jim Miller coming to me and being like, Hey man, you had a really great season. Like, I think we're going to put this program together. Um, and yeah, I'm going to ask all the guys for $30,000. Like yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. That to me would be nuts. Yeah, totally. Um, unfortunately, back then it was the norm in skiing. I think it's gotten better now. Um, unfortunately, I don't keep up with it as much as I should, especially details like that. But yeah, it's, uh, it, it's, a, it's a tough world of fine skiing. Um, I mean, so is cycling, but um, could always could always be worse or it could be better or you could be professional soccer players and get paid from the time we're 11. So I don't yeah. know why we're, I don't know why we're messing around with this, but. Yeah, no, I always, I always joke about it. Cause it's like, you know, like now I have student loans and I have all these other things and, and, uh, and like, it's funny. Cause like, I feel like, I feel like college, like I wouldn't be where I'm at today in cycling if it wasn't for college, but I also could be doing the same thing I'm doing now, like with the podcast, with marketing, with, you know, some of the work that I'm doing with no college education. Mm. And so it's really funny to like, think about, you know, student loans and all these other crazy things. Um, but anyways, to get off that, let's not even dive into, you know, payments and all these other things. Like you found, you found early success in cycling and you found early success in, in skiing. And that transition kind of happened because you felt like, I guess, financials, right? Like I'm more or less just summarizing what, summarizing what you're saying, but, um, do you ever see yourself or do you ever wonder, like, do you ever wonder where you could have been if you would have stayed in skiing? Uh, Yeah. I mean, I actually don't have to wonder that much because I think I, I probably would have stopped eventually. Um, yeah. Like, do you think you would have stopped because you got burnt out or do you think you would have stopped because you would have got priced out? Like, why do you think you would have stopped is kind of my question. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, like I said, thankfully, I I was good enough to the point and had incredible support. Like, I was also very well supported and super lucky for what I received as far as uh, the opportunities I had to sort of make that dream come true so i wouldn't have gotten priced out but i think uh like i said i, I was i was really happy or um content uh when i was actually racing don't get me wrong like i, I still love the act of skiing and the thought of training gs which is one of the events is like great to me and i have dreams about like ripping ski turns and stuff yeah but by the end i, I was just I was almost always miserable <laughs> and, yeah. and I actually had a good year as well. And so, uh, that alone tells you something <laughs> when you're succeeding and like reaching your goals and not having fun. Um, well, but, like dive back a little bit too. Cause like, you know, you, you talk about, cause like, I still think you're like one of the wisest dudes I know. Like, and you're probably one of the, also the youngest teammates that I've ever had. Like you're like one of the wisest teammates I've ever had but you're also one of the youngest teammates I've ever had. And so like some of the questions you have, like I forget your age, like you'll ask me questions like when we're out, you know, in Europe or like when we were, you know, you would ask for advice or something like that relationship wise or whatever, right? And I would forget how, I would forget how young you were. So like dive back a little bit of like what school system that you were in. Cause you were like at a ski school. Like it wasn't like you were yeah. at a normal high school in Vail, which I don't even know if they have those very small town, but I assume they do, but you know what I mean? But like you were at, you were at like ski high school, like where, like, yeah. Yeah. I went to a ski academy from the time I was in sixth grade. And so, um, what that looks like is the whole idea is to cater to athletics specifically in this case, Alpine ski racing. Um, there's also other sports at my school, like 
freestyle skiing and snowboarding and Nordic and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so it was structured pretty much like a normal school in the fall. And then once November one came around and you could start skiing in Colorado, uh, our schedule shifted. So our school day didn't even start until after one o'clock. And so we trained every morning um, with like Vales Ski and Snowboard Club. Um, and then went to school from one to yeah five basically and then along with that they like I said they're trying to cater to athletics and so like when we're going on competition trips oftentimes they'd send tutors uh, they had a specific sort of late work policy so like when you're gone for three or four weeks competing you're not like failing out of school um wow. and so they're keen to help you with stuff like that uh but i actually think and i appreciate it, i am very wise far wiser than anyone you know actually <laughs> um that if that's true um it would be because when i was growing up i was lucky enough to spend a ton of time with my dad and his group of athletes and so from the time i was 10 years old uh all my closest friends were like double and triple my age. <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, that's because... kind of what I'm trying to get at. It's like, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so that's one of the reasons why I think, uh, and this is a double-edged sword, but I like to see myself as, you know, like a professional athlete. And what I mean, I don't mean like getting paid. I mean like how I go about it. Um, just because I was around, uh, Olympic skiers and world champion medalist skiers all the time <laughs> and I saw what it took for them and that like really inspired me and I thought they were so cool and then it's like having a group of like super rad older brothers um and so yeah that was that sort of shaped what I prioritized and what I thought was important in the world and what I thought was cool um and so yeah basically and then that was the same thing once I started cycling. I was 18 years old and obviously Gavin at the time was, uh, I guess, two years older than me, but then the next youngest would probably be you. And then it goes yeah. up to Hedge who uh, was nearly double my age at the time. And so um, that, yeah, that's which continued. I would, and... I would have said that you two were probably the most level and were probably the most wise on the team. Is, it's kind of it's which is weird because you know it was almost like you would go to hedge and hedge would impart his wisdom and then but there was times like in training sessions where we would all be all over shop and you would just say like well dude we should just be doing it like x y and z mm -hmm. and where i was just like oh yeah yeah duh colby he gets it he's wise and then you would come to That's me with good. some some problem or some situation or i'd overhear some problem or some situation i was like Oh shit, he's only like 20 years old, 19 years old. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, just completely, completely space on it. And so, that being said, you know, that finds you now in this program. You know, you next person closest in age to you was, was Gavin, and then, you know, myself. And, you know, we go up the line, and like now we look at all these guys, and they're all above the age of 30. They've pretty much retired. Um, where did you find yourself after the Team Pursuit program? Uh, yeah, well, so I, I also really like the road <laughs> and so I was racing a little bit on the road at the beginning and then, uh, sort of the last year of the team pursuit program, I was racing for wildlife generation, um, a Conti team. And so that way, like I was getting to race in Asia and yeah, like start doing UCI races on the road. Um, and that was awesome because that showed me that, uh, even though, yeah, it wasn't, uh, as high of a level of competition as I was doing on the track, like it showed me like, oh, this is actually something you really like and something you want to do. And then in the, in July of 2019, um, at a super dumb crash and I was broke, there, Kroom was there. It's it quite dramatic. Yeah, uh, very dramatic. I'm still but I, I broke. I broke two vertebrae in my back, one in my neck, um, a bunch of stitches and yeah. And so that basically 
ended my participation on the team pursuit team. And so uh, the next year would have been 2020 and I was planning on focusing more on the road, uh, especially with where that fell in the Olympic cycle. And uh, I also wanted to develop that side of my cycling. And I think it'd be good for my track as well. Um, lo and behold, uh, COVID came and we didn't race pretty much at all. <laughs> and then, and then I got super lucky, ended up on Hagen Sperman action uh, for the 2021 season, which. Uh, How did that come about? Like, cause I mean, <laughs> you know, if I was Axel and I'm just like, I, I don't know Axel, but like, I just see him, like, I would see his emails be like over flooded with kids like you and talent like you, like they're, you're right on the cusp uh, and like you can be something great. Um, and he's got kids all over the world, right? You know, it's not even just the US. And so you break your back and somehow he believes in the fact that you can bounce back from this. That's such a- Yeah, year. you know, I don't know how, how it ended up being me. I sent him an email in, uh, I don't know, probably May or something, just like lobbying a prayer. I, I didn't have any expectations of even a response. And sure enough, I did um somehow he knew who I was I think uh when I was younger we had also talked a little bit and it, it wasn't the right time but uh yeah he was aware of who I was and I think I had uh some very strong references um Jim Miller for sure I know was talking to him about me um but yeah I don't know I think <laughs> I honestly don't know what tipped him off to be like, oh, he wants to uh, have me on the team. Um, it helps I'm American. Yeah. But uh, that actually, in hindsight, um, I wish I would have had a different mentality going into it. Because like you're saying, especially, and I was aware of this, like, oh, I, how many emails does that guy get? Like how many really good cyclists my age uh, want to and are good enough and deserve to be on that team. And in my mind, like almost right away, I was like, oh, like, am I good enough to deserve to be on this team? Like, For how sure. did I even get on this team? <laughs> I didn't even race last year. Like, no one did. Um, but yeah, I didn't even race last year. Like, why me? Um, and so, well, in reality, uh, I think part of me believed that I was good enough. I think from, and this is, this conversation will kind of lead to like who I am today. But I think with all the stress of the previous year of coronavirus, and then also sort of underlying demons that I had mentally, uh, pretty much soon after I had signed with Action, uh, is when my mental health just absolutely deteriorated to like a fine sand. <laughs> yeah. And um, it was, I was, I was super lucky because action was super understanding and um, like they didn't push me on anything. They were, they were, I, I don't, I'm, I'm missing the words right now, but like, I'm so grateful for the support they showed and they weren't, expecting anything out of me and they they weren't angry with me um they weren't disappointed and they genuinely just wanted to help me back to health let alone riding well um so that was great but that didn't stop me from absolutely like blatantly just hating myself and yeah. like participating in really self-destructive behaviors thankfully not like drinking or drugs or stuff but um i i couldn't get out of bed uh i wasn't training i was i was i put on a ton of weight um i was i wasn't ready to quit the sport but i didn't see any other like where there there a lot of my misery was from myself just telling myself what a piece of garbage cyclist i was because i couldn't even get out to train well, gee, well so, wait a minute. Like, how do you even get here? Like, I feel like 
you know, we've talked about this ski kid, right? Who, you know, is super talented. I remember you coming into the program and I remember coaches like walking around in the infield being like, this is the next kid. Like, this is the next, this is the next Taylor Finney. I remember, I remember hearing those words be said and, and I don't like comparing athletes to other people, but those were the words that were said. Um, and you know, you were, you always smiled, you always stoked, you know, like you always, you're always looking for the next thing. So like you finally made it here, you've made it to action. Like, I think this is any kid's dream. And then you feel like, like, like the words that you said, you felt like your mental state almost turned into sand. Like, how do you, how do you end up there? Yeah. Um, well, in hindsight, there's a bit of a hint of this at the end of my ski career. Um, but uh, I certainly uh, battle with depression. And I also wasn't really aware of um, the extent of it and how much is affecting me and what normal was. Uh, but in hindsight, yeah, at least since I was 17 or 18, I've dealt with depression. Um, and I think it's one super normal and super common. And a lot of people listening will uh, have similar experiences, uh, regardless of if they feel like they're depressed or not. Um, but for me, it kind of was just waves of like fogginess and like really hard to actually like, like yourself, you feel like an imposter. Um, yeah, it's just basically for me, at least I found every single way in the world to beat myself up. Um, I could tell you I had a laundry list of reasons why I was a piece of garbage <laughs> and that was the only thing I could think about. And it was just like this constant reel in my head. Um, and there was, there wasn't a moment during the day where I wasn't aware of what utter disgrace I was to this planet. And I could see logically that that wasn't true. And I could see that things in reality were like, great. Like uh, I, I had, a great situation um but that almost made it worse the fact that uh it was in quotations only in my head <laughs> like yeah like why can't you just like suck it up like just be normal dude like stop stop being a stop stop worrying but <laughs> i couldn't at all um but yeah i think how i got to that point specifically was one helped by a year of isolation <laughs> with yeah. coronavirus and I mean, it gave you a lot of time to think about uh, whatever. And in my case, I chose to think about all the, all the negatives in the world. <laughs> and um, also I think a bit of sort of imposter syndrome, which is a common phrase these days. Like, do I belong on this team? Like, am I good enough? Uh, without a year of racing, I didn't know, like you kind of forget what you're capable of because you're not competing against people. Like you're yeah. just training. <laughs> Um, and, uh, as, as I was taking steps that in my eyes were making me a worse cyclist, I was beating myself up for that. I was getting farther from my goals. I felt guilty for being on the team. Um, because I, I had Axel's email box in my mind of all these kids that were more deserving than I was to be there. Uh, and while I never like gave up trying, I was always, I was genuinely trying my best. Uh, in fact, the hardest I've ever worked in my life was periods of time where I wasn't training at all. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, it just, it, it got, it got really bad. And like, I was working with a psychologist and I had all the great perspective in the world from my parents and from people around me, um, teammates, you, anyone, I was getting a ton of love and people were willing to talk about things with me and I was willing to talk and talking always helped a bit, but I, I was, I felt doomed. Like I couldn't, I couldn't change my mindset. I was, I was, I was dead set on being miserable. Um, and that didn't change until this, uh, June, when finally it got worse enough where it was just clear that I should try something um, and started taking an antidepressants like medication. And that changed my life like 180, uh, overnight almost. Um, 
And since then, uh, partially because of the things I worked on while I was extraordinarily down, um, my life is far brighter than I've ever been, uh, than it's ever been. Like I, I love myself genuinely far more than I ever have. Um, I'm excited yeah. for things in the day. Uh, things don't threaten me. Um, the thought of the thought of anything cycling doesn't scare me. You know what I mean? It's just purely a challenge at this point. And um, to be honest, like on the roads, I didn't have a very good year, right? <laughs> I spent most of it 40 pounds heavier than my race weight. Which is which... insane. Yeah, I, rem I remember you you texted me your weight and you were almost like, dude, don't tell anybody. This. And, <laughs> yeah. and I was like, I was like, you're lying. Like, this isn't the, there's no way, like you're, you almost weigh as much as I do. Like, there's no way that you've gotten this and it didn't, you couldn't even tell. That was the other thing too. Well, I mean, you could kind of tell, but it wasn't like, it wasn't like, you didn't look like me, you know, like it was, it was, it was insane. And so when I heard that, like, um, I, I was, I was, I just couldn't comprehend it. Yeah. Um, I guess you're lucky you didn't see me a person at the time because, uh, I'm laughing at myself. Like, Oh, don't tell people because anyone that would have laid eyes on me in person would it like, it was very glaring. Um, but, uh, yeah, like I wasn't, I wasn't training. I was very unfit. Um, I was living in Girona and I was just going from shop to shop, like binge eating, um, medicating with food was basically what I was doing. Wow. Um, and you can get into the science of that, but basically my case, like the little hit of dopamine, but mostly serotonin that I was getting from food was like the only thing that made me feel something. And while I was miserable doing it and I knew I shouldn't have been doing it and I hated myself for it chemically it felt great. Right. Like I'm sure it's no different than any other addiction. Yeah. And so, uh, I was eating a bunch of, like I said, put on a bunch of weight. Um, then my life turned around in June and all of a sudden I was sort of free to fly. Unfortunately, I was still 40 pounds overweight and unfit. And naturally that takes time to correct. And uh, I've made a ton of progress since then. Um, like physiologically, I'm, I'm easily the best I've ever been today. Or, well, I've just taken a little break. So probably not that fit right now. But um, I made a, a ton of progress. It is the first time in my life where I've had consecutive months of good training without these huge dips from from in hindsight what what was like mental health um I still have like weight to lose obviously 40 pounds doesn't come off overnight especially if you want to do it sort of smartly but basically the result of that was I didn't have any results on the road and so uh in my case like I'm too old for action next year and um, for the time being while I'm working on it. And there's some things I look up, uh, right now I don't have a road team for next year. Oh, and wow. I'm finding this that... out on the podcast too. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's why I'm supremely grateful for the hundred million that you donated. Yeah. Yeah. For this no, podcast. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We took out a small uh, loan. It's cool. Too, yeah, yeah. We're a big company. <laughs> <laughs> Coffee and man chats. Yeah, I mean that's why you're live in studio right now. So exactly, big, big um, but I I go through all that. I I I tell you that I've had a bad year. Um, to basically, this is an affirmation for myself. But sitting here today, I'm I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid of not having like my dream contract or my road um, program, like in this shining light of gold because i sit here today with way more confidence than i've ever had in myself that i'm actually capable of what i'm trying to do and if it doesn't work out like i'm also more okay with that than i've ever been um wow. and it's it's it, it literally it feels like an enlightenment uh for lack of a better term and it's changed my life uh, and I'm so much better off than I've ever been. And like I said, like, like, or like you said, uh, I, I think I always used to smile. I always used to like joke and, um, but it's, I'm absolutely not someone different, but someone that is able to appreciate how good I have it. 
right now. Yeah, maybe um, maybe it's not so much of a mask. Like, uh, yeah, <clears throat> you know, because I mean, you hear a lot about that with like, I mean, suicides and stuff like that, and depression, and you hear a lot. Like, you, everybody's like, we never knew. Like that person was always mm. super super stoked. Like that person was always super happy. I mean, I remember when you reached out to me. Um, I don't know, it was like May or something like that, and like honestly that that was when i was starting to feel like you're feeling you know i was like mm. i'm in the best place i've ever been like you know like yeah i don't have a national team yeah i don't have a team like but i have this podcast i have myself like i have my wife i have you know i have a goal like a thing that i'm chasing like i'm gonna give it one more good crack and you know and then you reached out to me and uh like I, i'm not gonna lie like part of like the shitty dude in me was like man this kid's bitching about living in Girona racing for racing for action like i have just gotten over you know you know being content with myself of like i'm i'm not getting paid i'm not you know i'm not at the highest level that i i think i deserve to be at and where i want to be at um and it's like oh i haven't gotten the opportunity and it's like it's it's interesting you know they say don't meet your heroes and it always dives back to um, I always dive back to like, um, some people that I've ridden with in, in, in the past, um, that I looked up to and that I actually did six days with. And, you know, I, I always like, when I was your age, I would always be like, man, I wish I was that guy. And then you meet him, you get to know him. And then you realize like that guy has the same issues that I have just on a grander, different scale, you yeah. know? And you've probably, yeah. you've probably seen some of that even at a younger age when you were like, I want to go to the Olympics for skiing. And then you meet these Olympians who get comfortable around you and you're like, oh, well, I don't want to be like that. Like, I don't want to have those feelings. Like, yeah, I would love to go to the Olympics, but you seem pretty bummed, dude. Um, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, totally. Well, um, I mean, to me, like that's actually the coolest part of what we're doing. So I think it's an opportunity to sort of sort it out and learn that like really it's all a joke right like we we ride bikes um we might think we do it for some other reason but it's most fulfilling when we do it for us and no one else right like exactly we're yeah. not uh, like to put it bluntly like we're not saving lives you know what i mean like no. uh, i guess maybe you could eventually get good enough that you could make some real change in the world but there's probably easier and more effective ways to make that change than to dedicate your life to cycling. You know what I mean? For sure. Um, and that's not to say that it's not valid. Like I, I, I'm hundred percent committed to being the best cyclist I can regardless of the result. And I think that's totally valid, but it's only valid because I want to, and that's it. It's, it's simply a game we play. And that's the same with skiing. It's the same with, Olympians that I skied with or the world champions I skied with it's the same with the cyclists that we ride with the, like the world champions the Tour de France champions like it's just it's just a game we play at the end of the day and um once it becomes something far more than that then I think you're missing out um and unfortunately I think that's the case for a lot of people I think it's really hard for people to sort of live in this having this perspective that what you're doing is great because that's what you want to do and that's it um and unfortunately i think it's something that like even i as i sit here feeling great about the world i will also have a period where that doesn't feel right and for sure for sure and i mean we're all we're like we're on this podcast and you know we're you know, kind of giving it to the man of depression and <laughs> saying, fuck you, but you know, we're going to sign off here in 30 minutes or so. And you know, something's going to pop up or, you know, that team contract that you thought was going to come through, doesn't come through or whatever. And so, you know, it, it happens. And so that being said, like, you know, you, you made a comment that you have no team like for next year for on the road. Um, what is, what is your goal? Like if, if, if like I'm, team director, you know, what is your goals for next year? Are you like trying to allot to whatever you can get? Or like, I mean, from the sounds of it, it sounds like you, you know, you're looking out for Colby right now. And so yeah. what does Colby want to do? Well, I was fortunate enough to do a bunch of track racing this fall. And, uh, 
it, it reminded me once again because I wish I would have caught on to this uh, earlier. <laughs> but every time I step off the track, I'm like stoked. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And I think that says a lot. And the Olympic qualification cycle will always already start next year. And so uh, my my main project for the time being is to uh, yeah to qualify for the Olympics um, on the track. Uh, but like I said, I do love the tour, or I, I do love road cycling and like long term. The Tour de France is like one of my goals, you know. And like I I got to race in Belgium a fair amount this year, and I really like that style of riding. And I think like racing the classics in the spring would be so cool and something that would suit me if I got, if I could do it enough to get good at it. You know what I mean? Um, but I also realized that, and I had this experience this year, uh, that if you don't belong, it's certainly not a place you want to be. Like, I don't want to be world tour because it's cool to be world tour. I only want to be world tour because I'm good enough to be world tour. Um, and I have the belief that if I become good enough, uh, then then it will work out. Then I will find my way there. If I deserve to be there, I'll find my way there. And it will be awesome because I belong there. And it, that's something I know I want to do. But if it's something where I'm like teetering on the edge and like, oh, like I, I kind of luck into a contract because of this result or something, uh, I... I can say from experience that that will probably be a pretty miserable experience. <laughs> and yeah. so, well, we've kind yeah. of seen that with, with, with some people and we, you and I know people who have entered the world tour and be like, dude, it's not all it's cracked up to be. Um, and you know, you're pretty much just hanging on for dear fucking life, you know, at every race that you do. And yeah, it's, it's, it's intense. And it's especially like if you're given a job to ride the front all day, you know, for, yeah, 10, 15, totally. 20 days, you know? Totally. And I mean, if it's, if that's like the level I get to, then, then great. Like I'm, I'm all for being <laughs> that guy, but I want to be that guy because like, that's something that I'm good at. Not yeah, yeah. because, uh, yeah, not because some other reason of the way that I got there. Um, and yeah, that, that's again, just going back to the experience I had this year in, in hindsight, in, if I feel like I do now and, the progress I made, I, I, I now know that I, I was good enough to be on action, though I never had a ro road result with them that would sort of suggest that. Um, but I know from the beginning of that experience, when I'm laying in bed, not riding and eating a lot, uh, and miserable, that in that case, I'm not fit enough or like capable enough of a human to be on any cycling team. And that was... It certainly, while that wasn't the cause of my, my issues, it certainly wasn't helping knowing, like having this guilt of like, oh, you don't belong here. Um, that voice was hard to get rid of and uh, certainly not worth any prestige of riding around with World Tour Kid on, you know what I mean? So. Yeah, no, for sure. Like I, like I said, man, I mean, I feel like people are listening to this podcast and now understand what I mean by like, you're wise beyond your ears, my friend. Cause what are you like? You're like 24, right? 22. No? See, I told you. I'm, See, I'm, always, 22. I'm, always, I'm always two, two years ahead. And so Gav's 24 then I'm 28, man. It's, it's crazy to know. Like it's, it's, it's really crazy to know where we all met and where we all started. Like, <laughs> I think I came into the program your age when it first started. And that was the first ever rendition of like a rendition of a, a men's endurance program that I knew about when I started cycling. But anyways, so that all being said, um, what's the rest of your year look like, man? Like, uh, you, you packing up traveling, you going anywhere, you racing anywhere. What's the, what's the deal with you? <laughs> I'm packing up. Yeah. I'm on the road again. Um, no, well, uh, uh, like I said, I'm on a little bit of a break right now. I'll start training, specifically here pretty soon which um, I'm super excited for which is great it's a, it's a cool feeling to be rearing to go you know what I mean yeah um, which is a good sign I'm gonna race the track as much as I can this winter um, it's it's a little bit hard to uh, kind of sort it out 
because yeah, there's sure. not a ton of racing going on and it's hard to get into races but uh i have my schedule through december i'll go over and i'll race in europe some which i'm really excited about and then uh yeah like i said i'm, I'm talking to some road teams and that will obviously shape kind of what next year looks like for me specifically but in general like i said i'm 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 committed to this track project uh and i'm really excited about it and i love racing the track and so that alone will make it a worthwhile experience to like kind of go all in on this thing and so yeah and we'll uh, take this sound clip this one sound clip right here and we'll post it in 2024 um when you're at the yeah. Olympics in Paris, yeah, you know, yeah, um, exactly. I might, I might have to pay another hundred million or whatever it was to get you on the first time. To I think it. it was in our contract that you could but, use sound clips for oh, okay. Well, cool, man. Well, one question though before before I let you roll, um, it's it's our classic question, and and I know you've listened to the podcast a few times, but I bet you didn't take the time to think about this question. But if you could have a cup of coffee with one individual. Who would that individual be, dead or alive? How would you take your coffee, and why would you have a cup of coffee with that individual? Uh, I, I want to tell this story really quick. It's funny to me, um, and crew will laugh as well. When you first started this, just because you mentioned that I listen to the podcast, which I do. Uh, <laughs> Shit. Well, I do. I do. No, I do. I do. I do. But the reason why this is funny is because. Uh, I texted you one time. I was like, man, like you're doing a really good job with the podcast. And that was purely on me, like seeing your social media presence, like seeing that you had a microphone and headphones and like just hearing little clips on your stories and stuff. And I could tell like the quality of the sound and everything was quite good. And I was like, yeah, like <laughs> I just wanted to show some love. And I told you like, man, like you're doing a good job. And to be fair, I had listened to one podcast. I had listened to TJ Eisenhart. Um, yeah. But you're like, oh yeah, like thanks, I appreciate it, man. Which one's your favorite? I'm like, oh yeah, <laughs> the one with Dan Bigham. And you're like, oh well, that one hasn't been released yet. And so, yeah, you caught me. Oh yeah, because I, I pretty much, I, I pretty much, uh, I released like a little clip, and I think I was releasing it in like two weeks, and you responded yeah. <laughs> off the Dan Bigham thing, and I was like, well, I haven't released that podcast yet, but I'm glad you enjoyed it. Um, and it's, no, it's fine. It's really funny because it's like, I don't, and I don't know who my listeners are. Cause like I have, uh, I have analytics and I look at all the analytics and people listen, like I see it, like we got on the out of bounds network, like through listenership. And, um, but whenever I talk to my friends, they're just like, yeah, no, I don't, no, I don't listen to it at all. (laughs) Um, no, sorry. And it's, it's no hard feelings. I get it. I mean, actually I got made fun of and lost some friends over the podcast because I got bashed on so hard because it's annoying, which I understand. It's not like I'm turning into a fitness blogger or something. Um, I'm just trying to have fun on a podcast, man. But anyways, now that you're an avid listener and supporter of the podcast and you're, what is it? I, I, and I haven't gotten like a dumb name for my listeners yet. Like, you know how people like call each other, like, I don't know, like coffee heads or some shit. I haven't done, I haven't done that yet. And I don't think I'll ever get there, but now that you're a coffee head, um, (laughs) you can have a (laughs) cup of coffee with one individual, you know, who would that be, man? Dead or alive. And how would you take your coffee? Uh, well, my snap reaction is LeBron James because he's a stud. Uh, yeah. And no more than that. My next snap reaction is Lewis Hamilton because he's a stud. Um, but if, if I thought about it more, dead or alive, one person, um, you know, a coffee, a coffee date is probably not that long. So who am I going to get the most uh, well, here's the thing. bang I, for buck? This is this cracks me every time. This is the 80th episode of a podcast that I've done. And people are always like, they, they resort it back to the coffee and they go, yeah, I guess if we're having a coffee, it's probably only going to be like 20 minutes or if we're (laughs) going to have a coffee, it's going to be an hour or, ah, this person won't drink coffee. And so maybe I need to switch this up a little bit because it's finally clicked with me that people really looked more deep into the coffee than the actual (laughs) part of the question that I want them to answer. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah um but it can be as long as you want man i mean i'm I'm literally saying that you can bring a dead guy back to life yeah yeah well if i uh if i got endless time um there's this girl named um byron katie 
and okay. she basically uh, has devoted her life to helping people with uh, their silly problems, which I'm I'm calling my problems silly. Uh, but yeah, basically helping people with depression. And she has uh, she has this incredible background, like very dark and not not pleasant and she lives this incredibly happy life because of basically the lessons she's taught herself and she teaches that to other people i think you could learn a lot if you spend a bunch of time with her um how i take my coffee this is going to get the episode canceled but i've had three cups of coffee in my life one mocha and two black decaf coffees and so So coffee creamer it is I think just a few <laughs> coffee creamers. So Colby wow. has this, Colby has a party trick and that's why we're laughing. He, uh, he puts a coffee creamer in his mouth, like a little coffee creamer cup and he pops it with his teeth. And for whatever reason, we've made that out to be a party trick. If that tells you how exciting our track camps are, cause now that I'm saying this aloud, I'm thinking to myself, well, that's not that exciting but i remember we used to get really fucking excited when you put coffee creamer in your <laughs> it's very exciting and i challenge anyone to give it a try you have to get the right one some of them don't make the pop but it will shock you it will it will rock your world um <laughs> and uh yeah it's my vice coffee creamer is my vice okay so a couple coffee creamers and then she might end up giving you more advice because she realizes you yeah. have more than one silly problem i um, have yeah but anyways guys Thanks so much for coming back and listening to the podcast. And uh, now that we have a new listener, Colby Lang, he will probably listen to this podcast uh, episode (laughs) too. I'll put a link to his social media down in the description below. Also, all the out of bounds of my podcast stuff all down in the description below, the sponsors of this episode. Other than that, we'll see you next time. Uh, We're out.